really hear what happened to me. I was making a cup of tea last night, and guess what I was standing on? Cockroach. Linoleum. <laughs> Technically not linoleum. Vinyl. So I was driving down the road the other day, and there was this two rolls of stuff leaning up against the fence with free written on them oh, one of them I love one of them stuff. was carpet off cut this big kind of navy blue carpet off cut the other was this thing of vinyl uh, and I looked at it and I thought oh, fuck it's vinyl but I took the took the carpet I thought brilliant put it in the kids room cut it up into a square make a rug they're going to spill shit all over it and write on it and stuff so who cares did that and I thought no I want the vinyl I'm going back for the vinyl. So I went back for the vinyl, got it, put it in the kitchen and thought, I just want to cover the whole house with vinyl. <laughs> was it a bit of a, was it was it akin to like when you hear a great tune and it takes you back to a time and a place when your socks <laughs> hit that vinyl and you <laughs> started doing the dishes where you transported It's the sound of soft rubber soles. They say there. that vinyl is transportative. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly it. Um, anyway, the point being completely free. Completely free. I, I have I, nothing in the world gives me as much pleasure as the free. When you see free, and then there's something there that's just <laughs> that giddiness is just. I reckon free as well. The, the or sometimes it's not even labelled. Most of the times it's not labelled. There's a pile of stuff. That's yeah. That's it. I, I, I don't know if that's a if this translates. I well, I happened. thought this only happened in America because I'd only ever seen it when I went to America. People in Scotland don't do this, or they didn't when I lived there. People in Ireland certainly didn't do it when I lived there. So I only saw it in in America, in Seattle, and um, people would leave stuff out. And so you then, just take all your hard rubbish and you put it on your lawn, and it sits there for a week. Uh, yes, or or quite often, if people have a lot of that stuff, they'll just open a store by they'll just put a big sign up that says "Antiques and Collectibles," yeah. which is just it's basically just take my stuff, junk, yeah, stuff I don't want. Yes, but dr- when you're driving and you see out of the corner of your eye, maybe a street you just pass and it's on the corner, or you got and you're trying to rubberneck on what there is. So there's a festival I go to in the Yarra Glen, and it's on around February called the, the Yarra, Yarra Glen Fiddler's, Fiddler's Convention, Convention. Oh. and uh, every year that I've gone to that is the same time where that neighbourhood has their hard rubbish and they do it in one week so it means the council says hey we're having a hard rubbish tip out and this is a I wouldn't say it's overly affluent but it's a, re- it's a nice neighbourhood right. and I'm driving so it's a good two and a half hours three hours drive from where I live and every time I'm driving up there, and I'm like, oh. I can get a couch in the top yeah. of the car. <laughs> I can get a couch up there. I'm like, if I take my swag out. And like, <laughs> <laughs> oh. uh, so anyway, there you are. It's it's uh, it's all going, our house. The excitement never stops. The thrills yeah. never end. You know, yeah. I'm just, I'm scouring the streets looking for more, looking for more bargains. There was something else I got a couple of weeks ago. that I rang you on Friday night. No, not yeah. No, what day is it? Monday night, because I was driving past uh, near your house and I saw a a Weber barbecue sitting outside someone's house. Right. And I'm like, Dom needs a Weber barbecue. <laughs> I'll ring him. So that's what that missed call was about. My desk is from out on the side of the road. Somebody left it on the side of the road. And I just, I just, I carried it. I was like, it's got a, it's got a big 
um, piece of sheet of glass on the top of it. So I carried it myself because Elisa was away with the kids somewhere. And I was like, I'm, I'm not leaving this here for like one minute longer. I'm getting, <laughs> I'm getting it. And I'll saw the legs off if I have to, but I'm taking it, you know. So the point being, we all like a bit of free stuff, right? Completely. So, but this podcast, while free to listen to, is not free to produce. And so we would really appreciate any of you who are able to go along to patreon.com forward slash Blarney Pilgrims and to contribute at the $2 an episode level. We would really appreciate it. That's what will keep us able to do this podcast. And we're not going to hold you to the $2 an episode. If you want to go $4 an episode... You can even better. It's just, you know, I was thinking when you think about that piece of linoleum lying on my kitchen floor, you know, um, I walk all over it every day. And, you know, I think if I'd paid for it, I would be a lot more careful. So you value it more if you pay a little for it. So you're investing in your own, you're investing in your own well-being by paying for the episode that you listen to because you're, you attach more, more meaning to it. Don't you? You do. do. (laughs) So patreon.com forward slash Barney Pilgrims. I was thinking it's like, I was thinking of a way of kind of making the analogy between, like we're just going back in lockdown at the minute. And before lockdown, our freedom was just a given. It was something that we had. And then the first lockdown came in and it was, oh, that that was actually worth a lot, that that thing we took for granted. (laughs) And now we're in the second lockdown. It's very much like, hey, I want that stuff. Like that stuff, you now give it extra value because you took it away. <laughs> Not that we're taking this podcast away, but I kind of, I was. Yeah, totally. That's, yeah. Um, and hey, look, the other thing that's really useful for us is uh, subscribe, which is a, it might seem like a simple thing. Like you might love the podcast and you haven't hit that subscribe button, but hitting that subscribe button means you get the content guaranteed each week. And it means that, you know, whether it's Apple or whether it's Google or whoever it is, they see that we're worthwhile and they just recommend us to other people. And the more people that listen to it, the longer we can do it. Brilliant. So that's, that's mm-hmm. that could be done now. Like look down at your phone, subscribe, hit that subscribe. There's a little uh, star rating review thing by it too. You can always tap that. Take that second. Let's have a pause. Are we subscribing? Hopefully we're subscribing. Hopefully this is not just landing dead air. Well, you know, there's uh, when uh, my couple of American friends came to visit last year, they were very taken with the phrase that people use around here a lot. Too easy, mate. You know, when you say thanks for something, instead of saying you're, you're welcome, people say, too easy, mate. Yeah. It's too easy, mate. Too easy, Just mate. do it. Bish, bash, bash. All right. Today's guest. Today's guest is Elaine O'Sullivan. Elaine is a great musician, as you're about to hear, and she's also a great representative of the music in her community, and she puts her money where the where her mouth is. She puts her time where her mouth is, you'll hear. She is the moving force with, uh, with uh, Fergal O'Brien behind the Traditional Arts Partnership of South Armagh, which is an extraordinary community organisation teaching music to kids from all over the region and County Armagh. So I'm pretty excited about this episode because it's actually pretty much a year to the week that I met Elaine in person. I was in Drogheda for the FLA and I was leaving on a Wednesday night to go back home to my mum and dad's house. And there's a whole lot of steps as you leave Drogheda. Anyone that's been to Drogheda, you know, when you try and leave you have to go uphill whatever you do anyway so I go up this hill and there's a pub called Millmount House or the top shop and I hear this cracking music coming from in it I open the door and the place is full of kids 
it's just all teenagers and, and younger <laughs> and i'm going what is going on the music is blistering and it was that night i met elaine and i said hey i'd love to have a chat with you this podcast was only minutes old at the time and we tried a few times when we were in Drogheda to maybe organize a catch-up never worked here we are a year later and a pandemic global <laughs> pandemic later we've finally been able to put the pieces together and you can really hear if you if you go online, you'll see we're going to post some videos of of the group playing as well. Um, the the head of steam they get up when they're going is phenomenal. So uh, so that's today's episode, Elaine O'Sullivan, and it's a cracker. So shall we just get into it? Let's go. Enjoy. Sullivan, welcome to the Blarney Pilgrims podcast. Thank you very much. Lovely to be here. Those those were gorgeous. What were they? Um, 
that set of jigs was Kitty's Rambles was the first one and the second one was Willie Coleman's. Two great Beautiful. jigs. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Really. Was there a particular reason for those ones or uh well, I suppose uh, Kitty Kitty's Rambles was one that I was taught as a child, uh, growing up in Coventry, uh, by the great Vincent Tighe. And it's one that's played, you know, it's a really popular box tune. Um, and I just love playing it. Just brings back lovely memories. And Willie Coleman's is just, it's a really great tune. A tune, again, that I would have played growing up and seems to be, has been, become popular again, you know, in recent years um, among musicians. It's just a really good lively jig, so I really like those tunes. So, Elaine, I'm, I wouldn't normally do this, but I'm going to give a little backstory of how we met each other. Kind of, kind of, it sets the the scene. So, and what's special, I think, too, is it's taken almost a year to the week to actually get this interview set up. <laughs> so, what happened, and Dom, you'll remember this from me when I come home. I, I was, I think, it was a Wednesday night in the flat, and it'd been yeah. a long day. And I, I was on my way home, and I live in a place called. Uh, I used to live, and my mum and dad still lives in a place called Meadowview, which is kind of up on the south side of Drogheda, up to a huge set of steps. And I remember getting to the top of the steps that night, and I was knackered, and I was I was definitely going home for the night. And I said, oh, and I, I heard this music come from the top shop, and I thought, What's the top shop? So the top shop is um, our Millmount House. It's at the very top of these like huge rake of step, stairs that keep on going on forever, and. Um, it's a tiny little pub, but the music, some amazing music was pouring out of the window. And I thought the place was, I thought the place was jam packed with people. And I opened the door and it was, it was busy, but it was full of school. I would say 80% school kids, eight, like eight. And I was kind of, this is, it just felt, what, what, the music was insanely good. And at the time I was only, I was, I was still very, very wet behind the ears. I'm just, just wet now. <laughs> and. Mm. I, I I sat there and watched you guys play for for ages, and that was part of my awakening. Just going, this is incredible. Like what's happening is just out of this world. So, with with the backstory done, what, I'm trying. I actually don't have a question at the end <laughs> after all that. Um, yeah, I, who I are think, those children? Yeah, that you happened on. I think that was the night we played on the gig rig. Yes, and, it was. Yeah, and um, we were, we were buzzing. There was, gosh, I can't remember now. It must have been about 42 played on the gig rig that night from, from this area, just, you know, villages around in South Hamar. And we'd been rehearsing because it was a big thing for us, you know, getting the gig rig gig. And we, we went down. We knew it had gone down really well, and people were patting our backs as we came off the stage. And we were just all mad for tunes, you know, kids and adults, grown-ups included. So <clears throat> we had been up we came up to the flower that year, I think on a Sunday. So we sort of, and from the year before, we knew the pubs that that we enjoyed playing in and that were hospitable. And um, the Millmount was one of them. And uh, we just went, we, land, we landed down and we just got in the corner and the corner grew and grew and grew. And basically the, the kids were just all over the, all the place. But it was just one of those sessions where everybody was buzzing, you know, that had a really good performance on the gig rig. And there was families there, there was grannies, granddads, aunts, uncles, mums, dads, everything, babies, and just great. And I'll never forget that night, and I probably shouldn't be saying this because I'll probably get pulled about this, but um, the the fellow that run the, ran the place, he's a lovely fellow, but we had a dancer um, with us, we had a few dancers with us, but we had one in the pub with us, and he, we were all saying, get up, do a step, Ryan, get up and do a step. 
So he did, and you know, he's a fine dancer, but uh, didn't he crack a tile? <laughs> so, and I didn't know, I didn't say anything to the gaffer at the time. It wasn't that bad, but you know yourself, people can get precious, can't they? But not long after that, uh, a few of the young ones, um, do you know that they're composing tunes that are at that stage now? And one of them composed a tune called The Crack Tile <laughs> in memory of that oh, night. Lovely. I, yeah. I, I'm, for me, that night, because I, I think. In my mind, I look back at where I was on, on my learning curve and as I said, I was very green, but I'd heard stories of like magic sessions and like that happened in little bars. And for me, like, I knew I was in something special that night, but then how, how, not, how I'm, tr- I'm trying not to use the word weird, but it kind of was seeing so many young people playing music to that caliber with that energy. Like the place was sizzling and it wasn't, what I would have imagined was be in my mind's eye, which would be all, I don't know, middle age and, and, and everyone drinking, but it was all young and yeah, yeah, and, and the place and, was just sizzling. Yeah, yeah, okay, well, it was a great night, a really, really great night, um, and probably one of our best nights. I think every night's a great night at the flower, isn't it? But probably one of our one of our best nights, I have to say. I know lots yeah. of people went down later because I I didn't shit up talking about you lot for <laughs> the entire wrestlers. <laughs> you have to go to the top shop, and the thing of the top shop is, as I mentioned at the start, it's up the top of those steps. So yeah. when you get there, you're, 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 for a while, you're thankful. Yeah, anyway. you're thankful to get in and either get a drink or sit down and have a tune. Yeah. When you said that, Darren, I thought, did I meet him in a in a, a, a you know a shopping centre or something? I thought you were talking about the retail the clothing place, store. Top shop. Oh. <laughs> Top shot. I don't know what it's probably still called him in there. He does have an eye for fashion, Elaine. (laughs) Oh, I do remember that. Yeah, Dominic. Yeah. (laughs) So, so, so let's talk a bit more about um, about um, who the kids are, right? So, so why were you there? So, tell us a bit about the the arts partnership. Yeah. So we um, we run the traditional. We have the traditional arts partnership here in Malabam. Basically, we set up we set up as as a you know an organisation. 2011 um, we'd been running classes for a good few years before that myself and Fergal O'Brien from Portland known he had settled in the area as well um, and we were teaching in uh, T. Cullen here um, we basically ran out of space because the classes were growing you know we just started with whistle and um, boron and accordion and basically the classes grew and grew so we went across then to the primary school and that's where we still are and we teach um, all instruments now, I'm happy to say, pipes, harp, every, every instrument that you can think of, apart from the piano accordion. Unfortunately, we haven't got piano accordion lessons yet. Um, so things have just grown. The kids that were performing that night, um, they're in group kills, they're in small groups together. They've travelled and toured sort of nationally, internationally. Um, we go over to Spain every year with a group of teenagers to the Connect, uh, Creative Connections Festival in uh, Sitges in Catalonia and it's just you know it's grown and grown music song we teach music song and dance um, and it's just lovely because it's such a, it's it's not unique to it's not unique to Ireland because what it is is we've got kids from a catchment area of probably 30 miles come in for lessons here on a Thursday night and the beauty of it is that they can have all their lessons so say there's a fella who's learning the whistle uh, for a few years and then he decides right I'm going to take up the fiddle you know he can do his fiddle lesson and his whistle lesson on the one night and then kids that are in group kills you know we do the groups throughout the night as well so that parents aren't traveling two or three nights who just come for the one night and what's happened is it's turned into a kind of a social scene for the parents as well they sit 
they make tea and coffee, they sit in the hallway, they man the door, you know, they make sure the kids are all safe. And it's just, it's, it's, a, it's a lovely thing, you know, it's, um, it's going really well. Unfortunately... I'm jealous. <laughs> a lot of people say that. A lot of people say, do you know what you've got here is, is quite unique, but it's what we know. It's what, it's what our kids have kind of grown up with. And, you know, I suppose we put in a lot. We, we do a lot for the kids, but you see what you get out. The likes of that night in, in the Mill House was like, sorry, the Mill Night was just, it was just incredible. You know, you, I, I do believe that what you put in, you do get back. So, um, you know, it's been years of work. We've got 16 tutors and we've got an army of really supportive parents. Um, and that's probably what makes it special. Fact, How many youngsters one, do you have? Um, well, before, before um, COVID, we had 210 registered um, learning, you know, learning instruments or learning uh, music or song. Uh, but that's not just kids, that's adults as well. We've had a big, big, big sort of comeback of adults wanting to learn again. Maybe they learnt as kids and hadn't picked up the fiddle or the accordion since. So, we've, you know, we've, we've got adult, we originally didn't have adult classes. We just put the adults in with the kids. But last year we made a decision just to have adult classes for those that wanted them. And they've been so popular. And it's lovely yeah. because then, sorry. No, uh, it's, it's lovely because then what's happening now is that the adults aren't just coming to the set. We have like a monthly session. Um, uh, it's called the second Sunday session and what it was at the start was the kids sat you know in the middle and the adults sat around and listening and clapping and now you've got the adults sitting in and playing and it's just it's lovely it's that intergenerational thing it's just something very special about it are a lot of your adult uh, students are they are they parents of the kids like essentially yeah. what I'm trying to find out is is the kids that have Respark that passion in the paddle in, in yeah. adults or is it other adults coming along yeah it well it's mixed um there it's kind of a lot of the parents yes are, you know parents of kids but we do have some adults we've got quite a lot of kind of senior members you know over 60 uh coming back maybe having played as a child and you know maybe taking up a different instrument or just taking up an instrument as a uh, a gentleman who lives in the area He's such a character. He, he started on the Boron. He did his grade two and grade four on the Boron, came out with his distinction. Um, he started the accordion, but he says, no, 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 I don't want, I don't want those notes, Elaine, you know, those ABCs. I can't be doing with that. I want to learn by numbers. And he literally, <laughs> I have to write the, the notes out. So four down is D, you know, D pull. <laughs> it takes me about, probably takes me about <laughs> half an hour to do because it's just mind boggling. But he has his five tunes. He plays him at the session. He sings his one song. And he's just, you know, he's a retired man. And he's just so, he's just a new lease of life. He's, um, he's away down to Kong. He goes down there every year with the accordion and the boron. Um, now, I don't know how much sessions is going on down there, but he's away down this week for his annual visit and his tunes. So it's brilliant. So I, I want to ask, like, it's interesting that you mentioned that people say to you, oh, you're lucky to have what you have there because because you did build it so i'm it's it must have been a a monumental commitment in terms of work and time over yeah yeah what did you set out to achieve what was the the... i suppose it was or we wanted to include everybody you know in a lot of areas the tradition might be that there were there are two or three musical families um, at the start, we came in and we were just open to all. And, and I suppose that was the beauty of it. We were all inclusive, but we were also, we wanted to um, provide 
affordable lessons because you know myself I knew growing up if you were doing one instrument or two instruments it was a big cost on your parents so we want to be able to, for parents to send their children to classes and to be you know we, we keep it we're sort of a non-for-profit organisation we keep it that everybody is accessible to all you know and they can afford they can afford to go to their two classes or the three classes and we keep the cost down per family um, and we just wanted to music was has, has always been big in this area but we just wanted to continue it because there was a few years like every area you know and a lot of people say to me there was a few years where teenagers had gone off to college and you know they were away and the music kind of dwindled you know there's still great many great artists from this area but you have to be living it and I suppose that's what we wanted to do we wanted to continue you know the spark that had always been here um, you know, we weren't reinventing the wheel, we were just continuing what had been in this area, you know, the traditions of song and dance and music. So. Yeah, I like that idea when you say you have to be, you need to be living it. It's Definitely. It's very true, like even, well, it's in part what this podcast is for me and Dom, like it's, it's, a, it's a reason to show up and to keep doing it for yourself and knowing that you doing it for yourself is actually putting it back into the community and it's cyclic. The more you put into it, the more other people get out of it, the more they bring back to you. Yeah, yeah. You know, and we see that every year when we have a, a Christmas concert and we used to have it in the in the assembly hall in the school and we got too big for the assembly hall so then we went to the community hall and it got too big for the community hall You know, because it's only a small stage. So we have it over in T. Colin and we literally have practically the whole hall we have to open up you know the back doors and there's enough room for the parents to sit but it's you know we what we do is we make sure that every child gets up on that stage and plays you know and they're all sitting throughout throughout the concert you know and that that sense of like they've played with you know we've got teenagers who are fantastic musicians now at this stage and to have the young ones that have only been playing for a year sitting playing you know the basic tunes or at them bogs with the likes of these really amazing musicians, you know, it's great for them. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. One thing I remember from, um, I, I actually, I saw you two nights in Melmount House and there was the first night I noticed it and it might be, it's a common thing, but for me, it blew my mind was the kids were fluidly swapping instruments mid tune yeah. over the <laughs> table, back and forth <laughs> with each other. And that, it was just incredible. And then the second night was the was a really busy night. That may have been the night when the the, the dancing was happening because yeah. I think I remember that too. But yeah, like there was like kids on different tables, like chucking things across the room. I was going, what? Like, is this normal? Like, it can't be like that level of of um, of skill is yeah yeah on multiple and, and again, instruments at that age. Yeah, you know, it's nearly a competition. I, I have a fella here <laughs> sat with me. Uh, he picks up my concertina from time to, well, during lockdown he's become so proficient on the concertina do you know he already plays probably four or five instruments but it's, it's just that thing they just they just want to learn more and more and and there's a hunger there you know there's a hunger and I think it, it it's really what's really good here is that they're all of a, a similar age group do you know we've got a, a group of teenagers to 15 what we call the 15 to 18 group and they're all wanting to be as good as each other, you know, and they're all looking up to the tutors. We've got a lot of young tutors that come in now uh, teaching, you know, uh, who are really enthusiastic. And they, it's, I suppose it's just set, setting standards for them and that's where they want to be. And then they want to be a little bit better. So it's good. Brilliant. And that's uh, one of your boys who says, I think it was one of your lads, is that right? Yeah, yeah. So how many kids do you have? So uh, I have four children. Um from the age of 20 and the youngest is 12 
going on 14. I think I might have met one of them that, that, that night. Um, and they're in the room with you at the moment, is that right? But, yeah, right. we'll have one in the room and one hanging about to play a few tunes with us as well. So, Well, what do, what do you reckon? Could we have another tune? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, so, yeah, I think we'll play some hornpipes. Are you on your own or um, is your son still there? No, he's literally gone out of the room. Just, just. Exist. Does he want to have a chat with us? Oh, do you want me to call him? Aye, sure. Why not? Hello. 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 Hello.
Eamon, how are you? Good, how are you? Not so bad, not so bad. Um, so that, was that you playing the bar on there? It was, yeah. So how long have you been playing? Oh, well, I've been playing the bar on since I was like five, but I don't play it as much anymore. It's not my main. What, what's your main one? Banjo and then fiddle. Ah right, 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 right. So were you one of the one of the folks that was down in Drogheda last year? Yeah, I think we were meant to go on this podcast at the time, but we didn't get the chance at the flat. Yeah. So did did I meet you in the in the top shop that first night? You might have met my brother. We look pretty similar. Ah, I, I knew I knew I met one. It was when you were sitting over, kind of away from the windows, up against the the corner. Do you spend? Uh, uh, this is like this will sound like your granddad asking you questions. But he always has it. <laughs> but I sort know. of am. Like, um, so so do you and a lot of your pals play, or yeah. do you have like a whole other set of pals who have nothing to do with the music? Well, I have both. So I have my non-music friends, which I don't play with, obviously, and then I have music friends as well. So we're all from like the same village. Um, we play sessions together all the time and then we have a wee band called Screelin which is myself my brother Brendan Fionn Downey and Che Flynn and then we have like Kaylee bands as well where we'd see each other and then Groupie Cool so yeah we play together a lot well it was great to hear you thank you for thanks, thanks for uh, pitching in thank you bye hello <laughs> hello hi so Elaine um Thanks for those tunes. Um, you know, something that comes through really strongly, even just from that first part of our conversation, is the idea of community, right? Yes, yeah. And I suppose it wouldn't have escaped anybody's notice that you're in County Armagh, but you have an accent that doesn't necessarily come from <laughs> County Armagh. So. Yeah. so where does that idea of community come from? Well, I suppose it, it comes from uh, my childhood. Uh, I was born in Coventry, born and read in Coventry, um, two Irish parents, um, and at that time there was a, a, a big move over, of, uh, you know, in the 50s, 60s, um, a lot of Irish people had moved over to the big, I suppose, to the big um, towns where there was work and where there was uh, factories and stuff, so um, my mum was a district nurse and my dad worked for what was then Chrysler and went on to be... Peugeot, um, so yeah, um, I grew up in Coventry, we were just immersed in, I suppose, we, myself and my husband would refer to it as County Coventry, my friends were, <laughs> you know, were of Irish descent as well, we went to Irish dancing, we went to Mass on Sunday, we went to Irish music classes, um, so I suppose that, that sense of community comes from there, you know, I grew up, you know, in all things Irish, Cayley's at the weekend, um, classes on a Tuesday night, Irish dancing classes probably three or four times, you know, a week. And the, my my family, you know, would have mixed with musical families and dancing families. So every every parent I knew had an Irish accent, you know, from all different parts of Ireland. But um, it really was, you know, growing up in a big, big city, you know, even when we went to school, the school that we went to, lots of, I can't even think what percentage, you know, but there was a huge percentage of um, second generation Irish as we were called then um, so yeah I think that sense of community is I know I want to keep that on for my kids here uh, you know with the music and the dance and the song mm -hmm. what was that what was that cultus 
uh, hub like that. Can you paint a picture for me of it? Because I, you know, it, it's it's um it's it's such a different experience than say the experience that I grew up with in in a small town in the north. Yeah, right? so, yeah. So, so like, you know, you go to Irish dancing classes. Um, can you? walk me into the hall or wherever you were right? yeah. so give me a description of I, I can walk you into the, the, the my dancing teacher in Coventry was Kathleen Clifford and she had classes kind of all over the West Midlands but um my first memories I suppose are she was in a school it was actually the school I went to and it was uh kind of like a it was like a prefab but it was it wasn't it was part of the building but it was a, a tight a room enough room for the three dancers to get up and everyone else sat around to the outside and once you danced, you you know you walk into the room and you, when I went to the classes, you know you know everyone and people are chatting and then Kathleen would have been fairly strict and you know you had to get up and dancey dance and if it wasn't practiced, she would let you know and you had to go out. Then there was a little area outside where we all had to practice and there was another girl who was helping Kathleen and we'd go out there and practice away. But it was good fun. It was just you know the dancing was it was good fun. Yes, the feshes were a bit. I don't know. I suppose. You had, you had to travel the country and it's all a bit cutthroat as, as it still is but um you know it was it was lovely again a lot of the kids a lot of the girls and boys I went to school with um and then you go out to Feshes and you were meeting dancers from you know up and down the country that you got to know as well you know and I'd still be in contact with lots of them now um and the music was the same the music we had the classes uh, you know we went to we, part of Coventry Colthus we went to the classes on a Tuesday night and it it was very similar to our Thursday nights here, but it was all the, the thing about that was it was all in one room. It was upstairs in the Kerry Man's Club, and uh, you went upstairs, and you, you were excited to see your friends. My cousins were going there as well. My, the first time you'd seen them all week, but there was a whistle class in the corner. The accordion class was over by the was emergency exit. Do you know there was little hubs <laughs> of classes going on, all in the one hall, all in the one room. It was like, uh, and then the parents again were all sat you know having their orange or whatever and cups of tea and it was just lovely um and then we all had a session after the classes at the end we all got together sat in a big circle and young and old you know and some people just came down for the session but there were lots of people there for the classes so you know that that sense of community has been with me all my life i suppose so when you when you talk about the the cutthroat uh, what do you mean? I can, uh, it, it's competition, isn't it? You know, like dancing. You know, like it, the, the ruthless. I I call them like the the dancing parents. But like it was very competitive, and you know, I suppose we were competing at quite a high level. We were going up and down to the the all what was called the All Britain then, uh, and then we come over here for the worlds. You know, we, we were sort of like we were. Kathleen, she had built the class from I suppose the late sixties. And we were dancing late 70s, early 80s. And uh, it was, it was cutthroat. It was like, you know, who's going to win this championship today? And what team's going to win the, the Kayleigh team dancing at, you know, at the All, at the All England or the All Island and the world. So it was, um, I, kind of, I enjoyed the competition, but you, you kind of grow tired of it. You know, when I was probably 16, 17, I hung the shoes up. But um, I, I went back to it. I went back and I qualified as a Irish dancing teacher and I continued to teach then when I was a student and then when I started teaching over in England I set a class up in Hull um, again a, you know a lovely part of the world and many Irish there so and, and how, how were you introduced to the box playing then uh, well all my brothers and sisters I have two brothers and uh, a sister they all played um, I'm the baby so I would pick the box up. My sister was playing the box at the time. I'd pick up her little 
black dot and I was getting sort of getting tunes out of it in the house and, and one dad decided oh it was time for me to start and I was only about, I was probably only about four so it was time for me to start going down on the Tuesday nights um to the Colfers classes so I started probably when I was five uh, with Vincent Tighe and um I just loved the box you know I'd always loved the box I, I played a bit of whistle and you know but the box was for me was the one that I liked and uh then when I met Vincent, you know, he, like, he was such a character and he had a lovely, a lovely style. He's from Cavan, um, a lovely style. And he had this hair <laughs> that we, uh, me and my siblings, we, you know how you do, you take people off when you're young and when, and when you're old as well. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah. he had this floppy hair and he'd play a set of tunes and the minute he finished, he'd flop the hair, he'd flick the hair back and kind of look around, you know, to see how, what kind of reaction he was getting to his music. He was, you know, he was a real character as well. Again, he, he was he was strict. If you know, if you turned up and you hadn't practiced a tune or you hadn't got that wee turn or variation or roll, do you know he'd say, well, "Have you been practicing this week?" He was he kept you on the ball anyway. But you know, he was he was a great man for giving us tunes without names. I remember when I moved over here, the amount of times I get asked, "What's the name of that tune?" And I never knew because he just never told me the names of the tunes. I don't even know if he knew the names. He just said, "I'm, oh, I'm going to give you this jig, this wee jig." And on one of that that first jig I played, actually Kitty's Rambles, I learnt from him. Um, but I only got the name of it probably about ten years ago, when I was teaching myself. <laughs> so uh, tell me a bit more about Vincent. Why was he there? Um, do, you know, uh, do you know much about his background? Or? Uh, not too, not too much. Um, I do know that he had moved over, like my parents, um, in the 60s, mid-60s, and raised his family there. Um, he, <clears throat> now, I don't even know if he worked, but he, he must have worked at some point at something, I don't know what, but he fixed accordions. So he was the man that the whole country went to to get their accordion fixed. You know, from London right up to Scotland, people would come down to Coventry to get their accordion fixed by Vincent Tighe. So we were really lucky. We had a you know, an accordion fixer in the, you know, in our, uh, I was about to say in our village, in our city. Um, and that's, he, he had a workshop out the back of his house. We would go up there quite regularly. And it was just, oh, it was a minefield of reeds and buttons and bits of accordions and old accordions hanging up and bellows. Um, but that, that's what he did. Now, he obviously did work at something, but to be honest, I don't know what it was. To me, Vincent was just always the man that taught me all the tunes I know and played in sessions that we went, would come over to the old island every year and he would be out on the street playing and he didn't believe in going into pubs he'd always play out on the street and he would have the biggest crowd around him you know he was well known you know here and over in England as well so that's Vincent unfortunately he's not with us anymore but you know with great memories of him you mentioned there uh I know it was just a slip of the tongue, but you you mentioned our village and then you mentioned the city, <laughs> right? How aware were you of being Irish in England? Oh, I suppose as a child, you're not aware at all. This is your life. But as you start to get older and you're mixing with uh, kids from different backgrounds, you realise, gosh, you know, this is something, this is something lovely and unique, but it also could be a source of... I suppose embarrassment and shame and you know you play that diddly d music you know there was a bit of that um and i suppose going to school i was sort of talking about this to dominic before we i would have been doing classical violin in school and i'd be hiding the fiddle under the coat because you know just playing music particularly playing traditional music probably wasn't cool in the 80s very uncool actually um 
And certainly playing with 50 and 60 year old men in a Kaylee band of a Friday night for a Kaylee definitely wouldn't be the sort of thing that a kid growing up in the 80s would, would be doing, a normal kid. But we had, like, we were, you know, saying that, yeah, that sometimes you were a bit embarrassed, but like the majority of the time we had such a good network of friends and cousins and, and people to play with that it didn't bother us, you know, like I was proud of it and, you know, I still am proud of it and, you know, I'm so, so pleased that our parents got us involved in music because for me, music has been kind of like a passport over here. My accent in the area that I live, had, you know, could be frowned upon, it, you know, especially in the, the 90s. But, um, you know, music has been our passport, you know, for all of us, the ones growing up in the big city. So I know you were just a, a, a youngster growing up then, but um, I'm curious as to what it was like. Maybe, maybe you know from from your parents experience of like the the 80s was the time of deindustrialization of the beginning of the deindustrialization of the whole of the UK right yeah the mining yeah yeah uh, manufacturing and stuff w- were you aware or were your parents like was there a sense that uh you know the the job that was secure in the 70s was not going to be secure in the 1980s and this idea of having a future maybe wasn't going to exist you know what I mean yeah and I yeah they're acutely my parents would have been acutely aware of that and would have talked with to us about it as well um mum's a community <clears throat> community nurse so she she knew that her job was secure but dad's you know dad's job was never never ever secure so mum and dad had, and maybe this is where my my dream came had always talked about moving back to Ireland and ah uh, the first time they mentioned it you know I would have been maybe 12 or 13 the, the thing that, you know, we'd like, maybe we move back. And there were quite a few people moving back then, but then it was the whole thing about if they moved back, you know, what would they do? To, to, so there was there was talk of it, but it, it never happened until they retired. And um, I always had a longing. I suppose I spent um, many summers in Mayo. That's where we spent our summers, at the going from one, one house to the other, you know, the different relations. And um, and and funny enough, in my mum's house, my mum's house was a kind of a Cayley house in Northwest Mayo. In when she was growing up, it's where people went to, you know, to play the tunes and to dance the dances and eat the brown bread. But um, I have memories of musicians coming down, you know, as a as a kid, and we would be there, and they knew that we were there. So musicians coming in from the different villages. Um, but just going back to you know job security, yeah, I I I do remember Dad looking for different jobs, but he was he was lucky enough that the factory stayed open, you know, long enough for him to um, just be comfortable. Um, but they had, yeah, they had talked, they had talked about moving back. Um, but again, it was that thing of, if we move back, where do we move back to and what do we do? You know, mum's job is secure enough. Um, and, and, and and they were happy there. They had their own friends, you know, they had their own community and friends that they, you know, spent time with and I suppose with the music, that was kind of... For them, that was their social life as well. So, so did they move back or? Yeah, yeah, they did. They moved back in nineteen ninety oh nineteen ninety two ninety three, and sold up the house. And they well, they they put it on the market, but they just came over. They didn't move back to their home places. Uh, they just moved back to a town in Mayo called Swinford. Uh, they were just on the outside of Swinford. And then my sister followed them a couple of years later, and then um, ninety six I got married, and then myself and the husband moved back here in nineteen ninety eight. So it was, yeah, it was nice, yeah. 
do you know when they moved back was it what they expected because i have a sense of i mean we've talked in this podcast before about there's a sense that you're sort of between two worlds sometimes when you're an immigrant right you yeah. don't quite belong where you're living yeah. you don't quite oh belong yeah where you yeah. come from yeah definitely you know um they did kind of immerse himself or try and immerse himself but you know you're all you're the outsider aren't you they weren't originally from from the town they would have got involved with the cultists they went down but like they were going down as you know adults who didn't have any kids or grandkids you know in the area at that time and it was kind of like there was you know they, don't, they were welcomed but they didn't have a they didn't feel like they had a purpose to serve you know whereas when they were involved in the cultists in Coventry and the dance and the, they, they had a purpose I, I did notice, I mean, this is just coincidence, but I noticed on your Facebook page, I don't know if it was yesterday, that there was an older member of the cultists in Coventry who had yeah, just died. Yeah. And it got me thinking about your mum and dad and the fact that when they moved back from Coventry to Ireland, that they were leaving this whole group of friends that they had made over yeah, a period yeah. of 20 or 30 years. Absolutely, who, yeah. Who would then also be... Um, who would then also be dying over a long period, you know? Yeah, I, mean? I know. I know. Yeah, you know that's that, that was the sad side of it. But and they did say, you know, yeah, it was it was hard enough moving back, but they they went for it. They made their own life. I suppose um, they would have had a, a lot of relations still living in Mayo, so there was family and still is family in and out of uh, mum's house, you know, and dad had a brother who lived very close to um, where they settled, so. You know, there, there was that. They were at least they were closer to family, and you know there was none of this traipsing over every summer and you know having to travel the country. At least they had that sense of nearness to family. But um, yeah, it's it's adapting to a new lifestyle as well. You know, they were retired, and um, dad threw himself and they had a big allotment and threw himself into the allotment. Mum did actually do a few nights. She was still young enough to do a few nights. You know, on sort of nursing duties, but. It didn't. That didn't last too long. But you know, they, they had a happy enough life, and you know, mom's still with us, thank God. You know, her dad passed away in two thousand and thirteen. So, um, right. yeah. Do you do you have much of a connection now with Coventry? Um. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. My husband was from Coventry as well. So, um, and my brother is still living in Coventry, and my husband's brother and his family are living in Coventry. So, yeah. Um, and I suppose we would have been going back and forth when our kids were kind of very young. You'd like to go back and show them off and, you know, you sort of get them to meet the cousins. Yeah, we would still have a good link with um, Coventry, obviously, if not being, I, know, I suppose it's a year, maybe a year and a half. We try and get over every year. Um, and my husband was involved with the football team there, the casements, the Gaelic football team. So, you know, he likes to get back and watch them. They've been doing quite well, apparently. <laughs> so is, is, that a, is that still home? No. Not for me, no, no. Um, I suppose I um, I moved I moved away from Coventry when I was eighteen to go studying, and then I was working away from Coventry. So Coventry, yeah, it'll always be home in your heart. But you know, it's a different place now. It's a completely different place to the place I grew up. Um, it's changed dramatically, and I suppose my thing was I never wanted my kids growing up in a big city. Not that I had bad a bad experience or anything like that, but I had always yearned for countryside and mountains and just you know space I suppose so um when we first moved over we moved moved over to a town we moved, moved over to Dundalk but my dad knew that 
you know, I had this yearning to be out in the country. So he, we would come over here to Moloban for sessions, fantastic sessions at that time, late 90s, early 2000s. And um, we used to take mum and dad, they would come down from Mayo and visit us in Dundalk and we'd take them over here to Moloban. And dad would always say, yeah, this is where you want to be. This is where you want to be. And he, the house I'm sitting in now, he spotted them going up. It's just a wee little sort of like, yeah, right. yeah called soccer house. He says, and that's the house, that's, you want to get your name in one of those houses. So here we are. <laughs> Yeah, and they loved coming to Mullaban. Yeah, yeah. And, and I suppose... That's, that's pre- Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, they loved coming here to Mullaban. Um, the, the, the funniest thing was, and I suppose it's a, it's a, a, an age thing, mum and dad would never, you know, growing up in, in Mayo, they would, the north, oh my goodness, the north, and then growing up, and then being in Coventry and seeing the troubles and everything, to them, the north, you could never go to the north, but... They, their attitude changed. My dad was coming over. We were coming over from Dundalk. He was driving and he said, there was two men stood, one leaning on his his uh, hedge and another man with his bike. And he said, Elaine's just so like Ireland. And I was just, oh my goodness. Oh, but, but thank God we, edu- we educated him. We educated him. And he loved coming here to Mullaban. He loved the welcome he got. You know, um, he just, and he was... Re- would you come over, would you come over then like Belfast, um, Belfast Liverpool? That'd be... Uh no, we would have always. Do you mean from Coventry? Aye. Uh, no, we would have always been Hollyhead, Hollyhead, um, right, Dublin Port. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I, I, no, I, I did Liverpool once, and that was when we were coming over for good. You know, when we were moving over yeah. for good. Yeah. So. Yeah, that that um the Liverpool Belfast journey. I always felt like it had a it has a feeling of destiny about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah about so. Yeah. So it seems appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. So should we? Can we have another tune? Yes. Yes. Certainly. Um, I'm going to call this fella now. Um, my 15 year old is going to play a bit of bazooki with us. Oh, brilliant. Okay. Okay. Let me see if I'm Okay. Let's go. Yeah, we're good. Yeah. Okay. E minor.
Elaine, those were <laughs> those were brilliant. Lovely. Brilliant. Um all right, so so you're in Coventry. How do you journey from Coventry to Ireland? I mean, I know it makes a certain sense in the you mentioned to me the way you described it on the phone was um when we were chatting earlier was that you just you went to Ireland every summer without fail, which sounds kind of idyllic to me. It sort of sums up something. And I know, I mean, there must have been such a movement every summer of people across. Uh, yeah, that, there. The, the ferry was packed. There's no such thing as Ryanair and often on flights. The ferry was packed and the cars were packed up. You know, you just knew that that's, that's what was happening. Um, we would have gone over, as I say, this, that was it. Uh, Mum and Dad had their summers booked off with us for the schools. Um, we would have probably had four or five weeks off schools in those days, and that was the majority of that was spent in Ireland. It was just lovely. Um, going around to the different relations, and sometimes seeing different parts of of Ireland as well. You know, um, not just not always just going to Mayo, but it was it was great. And yes, yeah, there was a lot of families that did that. Um, a lot of my there was a, I'm 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 sort of tempted to wax nostalgic about. Uh, about ferry journeys because I used to travel Larnstranraer all the time back and forth to uni and oh, back and forth right. before 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 you could before you could fly right and um, and um, it's a bit like um, what is it like it's what is it it's a bit like <laughs> it's a bit like comparing uh, listening to music on a cassette to listening to it on your iPhone <laughs> really it's kind of like I know. No, the ferry no. is the cassette. You know, it's 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 kind of crappy, but there's something about it that's. I mean, it took so long. Oh, I know. I was, I was just going to say nothing idyllic about it. It was a nightmare. And my mum and dad would have always booked. The, uh, you know, the late, the early morning, the three o'clock sailing, yes. and it was yep. rotten because you were coming like <laughs> seven or eight o'clock. You were woken up rudely to get, you know, get, got to get down to the car, got to get the car off. And you were just groggy and sleepy, and there was I hate to say this, but there was four four kids in the back of the car in those days, and it was cramped, cramped, and you know, and we had the rooftop on, but oh, yeah, nothing. So I'd... many drunk people on the boat. Yeah, yeah. Oh, just... <laughs> I'll just forget. I'll just forget those those horrible memories and just think of the idyllic. <laughs> I think the biggest thing for us was putting on Radio Erin when we got off the, off the ferry and we got out from the port. That was the first thing we wanted to do. It was like we wanted to hear yeah. hear Radio Erin or put on an Irish radio station because it was really cool. It was like, oh, my God, they've got Irish. Listen to the Irish accents, you know, like. Uh, but, That's great. Yeah, That's... And, then, and then sleep. And then you slept all the way down to Mayo. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you see, that's that. That's it. That's it. I mean, you, you earned that sleep. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's amazing. That's like myself and Dom growing adults now. Like that's akin to how we would feel now and that's only because we've had to live away for so long to now when we go back home it's like that like you you kind of have a giggle going yeah we we actually do speak like that (laughs) (laughs) and when like you hear music and like you hear proper music on the radio you kind of that's when you get giddy and it's great like imagine having that as a kid and you're being plugged into like going back to your home like your spiritual home i'm I'm using air quotes here but yeah love it yeah no Um, so it's easy to see what drew you back. So how, how did you end up in, I, I don't want to skip over your time in England, right? So yeah. You, did, did you move to Hull? Yeah. I, to, I, to teach? Yeah. Well, I studied up in Hull. I did my degree up in Hull. And, um, right. I, I, and I, teach like education? No, 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 no. I did music and theology. So the, the, oh, right. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So the big joke was I was going to be, become a, a singing nun with that combination. 
Um, <laughs> literally, theology, because it interested me, and music, obviously, that's what I wanted to do. But um, I look back now and I, I say to my kids, I'd love to have done, you know, that lovely course in Limerick, you know, travel music course. I really would. My music, obviously, was all classical. I'd been brought up um, playing fiddle and um, playing violin, sorry, it's not fiddle, and piano classically alongside the trad. And I'm not going to say I didn't enjoy it. I did enjoy it. I, I enjoyed the rudiments of like learning the music and reading the music and I was in a youth orchestra and then I was in the orchestra at the university. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, I enjoyed my degree, but I just didn't know what I wanted to do. So took a year out, we called the gap year and traveled America and worked different jobs. And it was over there that I decided I had been teaching music and I decided, you know what, I think that's what I want to do. So I went back and did my PGCE in Leeds uh, which was another great area for music, um, you know, from when I was growing up and at that time as well, 1991. And then um, I, I, I'd been involved with the whole Irish society when I was at Hull and they were gutted when I went off and, you know, they thought that I was going to be there for life. But I You've lost her to Leeds, lost me to Leeds, but lost me to America first and then went to Leeds. And then when I came back from uh, obviously did the PGCE and I got a phone call to say that there was, there was the way it was done those days. There was, there was going to be a job advertised in a school in Hull. Um, I taught dancing to, you know, the principal's kids. And he said, this job's going, I'm not saying that, you know, to come back to Hull. And I was sort of torn because I'd been offered a job in Leeds as well. And I really liked Leeds because Leeds was real, you know, the, the music was good. But I went for the interview in Hull and I just, I loved the school and I loved, the interview was brilliant. And the, I think what the, the one for me was at the end of it, he said to me that I'd been told that I might have to play either the piano or to bring the accordion along. And the priest at the end um, asked me to play a tune. So I played, played a reel or something. And then he put, he says, would you know? And it was a jig, it was some random jig, but I knew it. I can't remember the name of it. And I think that's what got me the job in the end. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I worked in Hull for, I, I actually settled in Hull. You know, I really, I, I liked Hull, good people um, for five years. And then, What's Hull like? I've never been. Oh, um, it's it's at the end of the it's at the end of the M sixty two. That's that's the way I describe it. It's there's been a big gen, sort of regeneration of Hull. They had the city of culture there a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago. Was it? A, it was a big. Wasn't it a big fishing? Yeah, that's exactly. Town? Yeah, it's just basically just the docks and big fishing town. Mm-hmm. Um, very. Oh, I can, I'm, I'm trying to be kind here. The people were, it reminded me very much of, of Irish people. You know, you'd walk down the street and they'd say hello to you. They were just really, really friendly people. And, um, you know, it was a town, probably a, a town that had been through its ups and downs. It's a city now. But um, I suppose for me, I was working in a, a, a school in an estate called Bransholm, um, which at that time was the biggest um, housing estates uh, in Europe. And it was very, very rough. But I was getting kids from those estates and I was getting kids from the other side, which was quite nice, you know, quite a nice area. But I just loved the job and I loved the people and I was te- teaching dancing and I was teaching music. Uh, we had a little dancing school going and it was just good times, really good times and, and plenty of music. Um, there was musicians there who played English folk and Irish trad and they were just, they were great musicians to play with and taught me a lot about just not being focused on, you know, the one tradition, about welcoming other traditions and learning tunes from other traditions and... I think it's something that I brought, you know, over here as well. You know that 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 learning there in Hull. So yeah, so I was in Hull for five years, um, and that's when that's when we decided we'd we'd move back here. 
move back. What, what did you, what did you learn of the English tradition? Because I think I think we've mentioned this a few times in the podcast that um, that when I was growing up, just in the north of Ireland, like the, the English tradition wasn't really around. It wasn't heard anywhere apart from maybe June Tabor was the first English folk singer I think I ever heard. Yeah, like like, um, but there's an amazing tradition. Right? Yeah, there is, and uh, and a really political tradition too. Yeah. Really interesting political. Yeah, yeah. I, I suppose the the ones I was playing with, you know, it was it was folk tunes um, that we would we that they would have taught me, um, and the songs as well. You know, I, I think there was it probably was a lot of political songs composed and historical songs, but I suppose to me it was the tunes and the the the, the makeup of the tunes and how intricate. You know. I, I suppose we would have grown up in Coventry and we would have laughed at the Morris dancers, you know, when you've seen them out, oh, for God's sake, what are they? But I actually think, you know, now, and, and my experience of playing with those musicians, you know, I've gone over a lot of time and respect for Morris dancers, but the tunes themselves, the, the intricacies and the difference, you know, there was a wee kind of like melodic differences to Irish music that really fascinated me and, you know, I suppose made me appreciate um, my own music and the way that I played, played music and the way that I taught music, um, but I, I, I don't know, playing with those, those as they were, they were English folk musicians, but they loved trad. And they loved me coming in because I, I'd give them tunes and sets of tunes. Um, but it was a, it's a two-way thing, you know, I got tunes off them as well. I guess I, I guess um, English Morris dancing just never had its river dance moment. No, I think that's what's lacking, yeah. And, and it tends... Tend <laughs> I was going to ask, who's the planksty of Morris dancing? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, and it was just the whole, you know, middle-aged men and women. And I never did. Well, I did in, in, in latter years. I would have seen young people doing it. Um, but it, it just seemed to be a kind of like uh, just a not very interesting uh, thing that I was exposed to, in, you know, whenever we were at festivals or fairs in Coventry, you know, you'd be, the Morris dancers would be wheeled out. But then in Hull, and maybe it was a northern thing, it seemed to have more vibrancy and and maybe the music had a little bit more vibrancy as well, and it just—I just started to respect it a little bit more. Mm -hmm. So, so be, be, before you before you leave Hull, um, could you just tell me a couple of the musicians who who you used to play with? Uh, Denny Bartley. Yeah, who did you? Denny Bartley was actually he was from Limerick, um, but has been has seemed to be in England for forever. He was a fantastic guitar player, is still a singer, um, and he. He composed the songs as well. And then there was a fella, um, concertina player, um, called Chris Sherborne. And he's a real boatman, you know. I think he, 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 at the time, he was fixing boats um, and the family had their own boat, but they were real hull. Well, actually, they weren't hull. They were kind of like East Coast, probably ghoul or somewhere like that, but real sea people. And like that, sea shanties, that's what he played all the time. Sea shanties. Come on, lady, yeah. I've got to learn this one here. So... Yeah, and, and then there were others, um, fiddle players, English folk fiddle players, names now going out of my head. But yeah. as well as that, there was, I remember um, a family from, the mum was from Belfast, um, and she, she sang, um, the dad played a wee bit of whistle, a bit of guitar. You know, there was Irish in there as well. There was a lot of, it's very, very mixed. Such a such a valuable thing to be able to take with you though from a place. Yeah. Right? Oh, definitely, um, definitely. That, that being just being opened up to a, to a new tradition, particularly one that you that you like you say you used to probably look at. Yeah. A bit sideways. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So b- before we before we talk to Ireland, um, um, could we maybe have another tune and then we'll? Yeah, yeah. My fella's still sitting here with me, so um, ah, I think we'll yeah we'll do another set of tunes. Um, okay, so we're going to do, uh, we're doing O'Carolyn's. I, I love O'Carolyn. I think it's to do with probably the, the group things, you know, teaching the groups. Yeah. So I'm going to do um, O'Carolyn's, Carolyn's draft into a reel, and the reel is called Flagstone of Memories. It's Vincent Godric's reel. Great.
Lovely. Lovely. Oh, thanks. Um, so which which of your sons is playing the bouzouki again? So that's Brendan. And he, that's Brendan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's... Nice going, Brendan. <laughs> oh, he's gone. He's gone. <laughs> okay, that's all right. They move quick. Yeah, they do. <laughs> so how do you end up then? Um, you're, you're in Hull and at some point, have you constantly felt this pull to, to move back to Ireland or what? Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. Or to move there for the first time, I guess. Yes, yeah, to move there for the first time. Yeah, it was always there. Now, I have to say, the people of the Irish community in Hull did everything to try and get me to, to stay. I mean, everything in their power. But um, okay, it, was, no, it was always there. We had set up, um, as I said, we had a dancing school going and, and we were just getting to that stage where we were taking that to Fesh's. And I think that was the point where I was kind of like, need to move, I can't be doing this, I can't be you know, taking kids up and down the country like I was and putting parents through that. Um, and funny enough, one of the girls that took over the dancing class, it's still going really well. Um, and yes, kids are going out to Fesh's and but you know, there's a lovely culture of, of Irish dancing still there. So yeah, there was always a pull um, to, to come back. I, um, I suppose when we got married, that was it. Um, we had a strange first year of marriage because Liam was still working in Coventry. And I was working up in Hull, so we kind of lived apart, but together. <laughs> does, that, does that make sense? He would come up, at, you know, he mm-hmm. would come up at weekends. So we had, a, you know, we knew we knew that we were going to. That's that. That was the plan that we would move back. Um, at the time, my husband was a builder, so he got work secured in Dublin. There was plenty of it at the time, and we moved to Dundalk because with me and uh, not I didn't have Irish. Um, we thought it might be easier to get work teaching work you know, across the border. And oh, yeah. yeah, so that was it. We had got a lovely house in Dundalk and in Dundalk we met some and still play with these, met some amazing musicians, amazing people. Um, you know, I was made to feel very welcome. Um, mm-hmm. And um, that, as I say, there we would been up and down here to Moloban and Cross McGlen and different sessions, you know, in the area. Um, and we just, I said my dad spot the houses and we, I loved coming to Moloban. I loved at the time there was a pub called O'Hanlon's where it seemed that the whole country came to for the session on a Friday and a Saturday night. And um, I just really, really loved the people there and the people that I met there. And I loved the people of the area as well. Um, I've still got, you know, I've had many friends now who remember me coming in and, you know, as you say, the accent just might not be what you'd expect around here. But um, yeah, the, um, the, the Corsion was a passport in so we've been here since was there was it was it difficult having an, an english accent in the 90s there yeah well yeah it was i was late 90s um i suppose being a teacher i um my first day stopping was in cross mcglen and um yeah yeah I, now the staff were brilliant because the staff would have seen the cv and would have you know would have known a little bit about me um but it was a kid's reaction it's kind of you know they wouldn't, they would have heard the, the accents that my accent, an accent like mine would have only been heard, you know, from the, the soldiers roaming the streets. So, you know, a wee bit kind of cautious and, and, and people would be cautious and they've every right to be, you know, cautious. But once they got to know who you were and who your people were and that you played music and, you know, that you were, you were okay. Um, yeah, we, we were, we were welcomed with open arms. So. Was that a, was that a long process? for some people yeah for some people there was many people as I say and then probably musicians who were just immediately in here now but no for some people yeah you know they've been through people who have been through things I found um 
would find it hard to you know to accept and, and particularly the fact that we didn't have family here you know our family are all they were all either in Coventry or in Mayo or my husband's uh, father was uh, from Kerry so we had no family ties so it did look a bit suspicious you know what are you coming in here for but um uh people to, people are very and were very accepting so yeah. Can you tell me that you told me um, on the phone a story about going into the pub? <laughs> yeah, literally, I had done a day in the school, and the next day, uh, one of the girls that was teaching next door to me bounces in. She says, Lane, Lane, there's a session on here on a Thursday night. You have to come in for it. So I was like, Oh, that's lovely. Thanks very much. She says, It's great crack, and you'll be made to feel really, really welcome. And uh, so. Got home and Liam had come home from work and I said, I've been invited to a session in Cross. Like, yeah, he says, oh, shall we go? And then... This is Cross McGlenn. Cross, right? yeah, Cross McGlenn, sorry, yeah. Do you know Cross McGlenn, Darren? Cross McGlenn is right... I'm just explaining to Darren, he's kind of... Yeah. So Cross McGlenn is sort of right on the border. Uh, I used to buy fireworks around the area, I'm pretty sure. Right. You <laughs> 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 still can, you still can. But... Um, oh, good. So the, the session I had been going for years was in Kinnan's and we parked the car up in the square and I, 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 nothing was said between myself and my husband. We just assumed we were going to the set and we heard the music and it was grand. And we, and we walked in the door and as we walked in the door, the tune stopped. And it was probably just coincidence that the tune stopped, but the tune stopped and everyone, it felt like the whole pub just turned and looked, you know, and Liam was in front of me and Liam doesn't play any music, any instruments, but he always would say... No, I carry the instruments. So uh, he had my accordion, and in those days there was none of these trendy, you know, backpacks with the accordion in. It was like a case, and he carried it by the hand. And people sort of looked at the accordion and looked at us, but it just felt the walk from the door to the bar felt like eternity because everyone was looking at us. And we got to the bar, and uh, Liam put the, uh, the accordion down. He says, uh, Can I have a pint of Guinness, please? You know, in his Coventry accent. And it just felt like the pub got quieter. You know, it was like a, all I could hear was the tick-tock, a tick-tock of the clock. And uh, it was like, oh, he was kind of looking at me going, oh, God, what's going to... It's just one of those moments, you know, those wild Western moments. And then it was, a, it was just as if by magic, um, there was a, a, an old fella, an older fella sitting down, and he says, hey, is that an accordion I see there? And um, I, I says, yeah, yeah, it is. And again, and again, they were recalling that I had an English accent as well. And he says, well get it out and sit in here and he pulled he made a space for me and so I did and now that he was I, I played with him for years he's passed away as well but um Michael Conlon was his name I I play with his um uh, nieces and nephews and I teach his grandchildren you know so that that link you know it's, it's just lovely we ended up playing with that family for years and years and years you know and still play with them so that was my experience. Elaine, just so you know, when uh, if you're not a very good musician and you walk into a, a pub and it's at the end of a song and you walk up to the bar and you have your instrument with you, that feeling is it's pretty similar. <laughs> that, that terror of, I, uh, maybe I don't belong here. Because <laughs> that, that sounded kind of familiar. Oh, no. Oh, I don't know. But no, and, you know, it's just the people across like that, uh, they would be very cautious and very suspicious, but... My God, once they like you, they really like you, you know. Um, and so, and, and people would tell me about that night. I remember the first night you came into Kinnan's. I remember that, you know, I, I remember it so well. And mm-hmm. I say to them, do you remember that moment? And they say, well, uh, not really. You know, they don't remember it. But for me and Liam, it was like, oh, is this ever going to get any better? You know, but uh, it was. Too, it ended up being one of those sessions. It was just, it went, I was actually working the next day and the principal was in the pub. 
And, uh, you know, I was sort of saying to Liam, we've got to go now, we've got to go now. But the tunes were too good. The tunes. And then the talk the next day around the school and in the staff room was like, wow, that was some session. So it, it was it was great. It really was. And it wasn't just me. It was a really, it was a renowned session. It was, it was just seemed to be, I hit on a really good night. So, uh, yeah, that was my first experience now playing in, in Cross Midland. And I've had many great experiences since. So how do you view Northern Ireland now that you've lived there for as long as you have? How long was, how long would that be? Well, we, I, yeah, yeah, we go, like I go on, my eldest child is 20, so she was born, we were living in Moliban, um, 21 years here. Um, yeah, uh, I love it. I love it. I love. Give, give me the straight, yeah, because I'm asking as somebody who hasn't lived there for uh since 1986 so yeah um so that's a long time but i still feel like oh of course i'm uh, that's where i'm from but like yeah yeah no I, I i love it i love the people when we first moved over here i struggled i really have to say i struggled with um seeing the, the troops you know on the streets and you know you'd be out for i remember being out back for a walk here in Moliban and a helicopter landed in the field and i was just like I just, I couldn't get my head around it. I really couldn't, you know, and people have lived through this for years and years and years. And I just was full of admiration for these people who just got on with their lives regardless, you know. And we're lucky that we came through the peace process and my kids have grown up and know none of that. Um, you know, and it's, it is, it's, it's a lovely, peaceful place to live. Um, it's the people, you know, the people anywhere. I would, we work in school, we do shared education um, projects with um, a school in Market Hill. And the first thing, we get inspectors in to watch us teaching together, we have shared classes. The first thing, any inspector or anyone, any visitor coming in would say, you know, me growing up, you know, as they would be growing up in the north of Ireland, they would say, you wouldn't, Cross McGlenn and Market Hill schools working together, unheard of. You would never hear it, you know, hear it. And then, I always maintain that if you meet the right people at the right time, then, you know, you're on a winner. And we, I had met, uh, the principal had been to some meeting and we were put in touch with Market Hill Primary School and I was put in touch with this fella called Kenny Kwa, who just so happened to be a musician. And me and him, we, we've been working together for probably 10, 12 years now. We just hit it off from, we just did a Skype, you know, in school. And we hit it off from day one and we got our classes doing Skypes and playing tunes and... He would be, he's from the, he's a Presbyterian, you know, he's from the Unionist um, tradition, but he just loves Irish music as well. And um, that, the, the reason that project has worked is because, you know, the teachers in my school and the teachers in his school, we've sort of got them all on board and, you know, we've been working together and the kids have been not just playing music together, they do lots of things, they do ICT, numeracy, you know, all curriculum areas and um, they've been on trips together. It's just, it's, it's a great project. But that's the thing. People look in and go, how does that even work? Well, I know it works because it's the people that make it work, you know, and the people's attitudes. So, um, yeah, <laughs> sorry. It's a bit of a long-winded uh, answer there, right, around, around the houses. But, no, I love I love living here, you know. And my kids would say they they would like to, to live here. They don't start saying, oh, I'm yearning to go back to Mayo or anything like that. They would just love to be... I'm sure they'll travel, you know, please God, in years to come. But... Um, they always say, I want to get in the house near you and live near you, you know, that idyllic kind of... But they like it, you know, they, they, they like the lifestyle, they've got the sport, they've got the openness, they've got the music, you know, so it's a great place to live. I should work... When you, when you, when you did move there, how, um, how, like how, how aware or how sensitive were you to 
to pol- to the politics and the sensitivities around the politics yeah. in Northern Ireland? Oh, was that something that you had to learn when you were there or were you kind of familiar? No, I was very familiar with it. Um, my husband is extremely into politics, so he he would just, you know, he can give me the history of everything and everything that's happened here. But as a child growing up, we were acutely aware of what what's happening over here and, um, you know, watching the te- television and uh, seeing the bombs and seeing the helicopters and, you know, we were acutely aware. My mum and dad would have, you know, taught us in a kind of very level way, you know, and educated us and um, and would have been very open and very, you know, even though, as I said to you, they would have viewed the North as, you know, com- a completely different um, country even. It's because it was that fear they hadn't been there. Um, we had been to Bunkrana um, to the Flower, obviously, um, for a few years and travelled over. We actually travelled over on a bus to the Flower in, in Bundoran. But I remember that, I think I told um, you, Dominic, about this, that one day, one year we were coming over, I was only about seven, and me and my brother had, um, we qualified in the duet, and this was big, to, you know, to get through to the All-Island on your duet under 12, and I was only seven. But we were coming through the border, and the bus was stopped, and the British Army got on. And I wasn't surprised, because, I, because I'd been prepared for this, that this might happen. But again, it was just that first hand. It was all, you know, this is what people have to live with every day. And it made, it made me sad. You know, it just made me really, really sad. But, um, yeah, there, there was nothing nothing untoward. We just had to get off the bus and they searched, you know, looked through the instruments and different things. But there was a few on the bus that were, you know, saying things probably that they shouldn't have been saying. But, you know, my dad was just saying, just keep keep quiet now and say nothing. Um, but yeah, I would have been aware of like you know the political situation and, and what what was going on. My, my daughter now is doing uh, law and politics, and um, so I think I think her dad's done well through the years keeping her right as well. So yeah, how like was it? Because I kind of feel like a little bit similar to you in regards that was aware like aware of it and Drogheda would have had like there would have been some army presence at times yeah so I knew it was something that was happening but it was never something that I would needed to it didn't affect my day-to-day living to any great extent and then I probably I left home before my political mind would have turned on like it's I suppose it's a different experience when you're when it's a lived experience rather than a theoretical yes happening, yeah an idea totally that's going on yeah, and it did, was there was your time in kind of Dundalk? Mm. Was that kind of you, you start? Did you start to familiarise yourself with that landscape? Yeah, yeah, there? yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah, and you know, and the um, the views that people had about Dundalk. Why are you living there? And again, you know, it was a very political town. It was a town on the border. You know, um, but we didn't obviously like we didn't involve ourselves too much. We we got involved with music, kept kept away from all of that. But yeah, I was acutely aware that you know that Dundalk was uh, a hot spot. Um, you were play, you play much music in Dundalk? Oh yeah, yeah. We would have played. Oh, there was probably sometimes playing three or four nights a week. But we had there was a, a wee pub there. It's not there anymore called the Shanaki. We started a session there. There's four or five of us. Um, and um, then we moved to a, a place called McDade's and there was a Corbett's on a Thursday night was always a good one to go to um, at Manus's on a Friday night. There was music in the early 2000s, late 1990s. It was just brilliant. And it still is in Dundalk, you know, it just seems, Dundalk seems to have been, um, mm. Mark's Bar would have been the place, I think, in the 70s and 80s. That's what the old, you know, the, the old, old musicians, and now I'm one of the older musicians, but they would have <laughs> talked about Mark's Bar and, you know, what a thriving session and session scene and singing you know song tradition as well so i think dundalk's been you know has always been good but um 
certainly when we moved, there was plenty of music, you know, and they would have Colthus as well. I think there's two Colthus branches there, and um, there's just, you know, young musicians coming out of them that are incredible, really are. Yeah, it seems to be that way. I've noticed a few things pop up all right. Well, Elian, I just... Um... <clears throat> How can I say this without either making myself cry or <laughs> sounding sounding ridiculous? But like, I just, you know, it's it's so amazing that that you do the work that you do. I mean, I know you're doing it out of love and so on, but yourself and and your partner, um, I've forgotten his name, Liam, Mr. Liam, Brian, Fer- oh Fergal, yeah, Fergal, yeah. Sorry, your your partner. I'll start that. Should I start that question again? Because. <laughs> A partner, a partner in music, yeah. <laughs> That's what I meant. Yes. Um, uh, anyway, you can start crying. Just yeah, go straight to the crying. <laughs> <laughs> Dig up. Um, um, I wasn't meaning to make myself cry for oh. such a bad question. I just want to say, I, it's just brilliant. So yeah, it is incredible. It's and really fantastic. And oh, thank um, you. I'm thank so you. lucky to have of because I would have taken. I don't know how I would have got in contact with you if we, we had never had that chance meeting in Drogheda a year ago. So yeah. thank you so much for um, picking up the phone again and saying yes, you'd, you would a year later. It's so it's so lovely to have a chance to talk to you. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, no, lovely. Lovely speaking to you both. Thank you very much. Would you give us another chin? Certainly. To finish off with? Certainly, yeah. Thank you. Okay, okay. Just hold Thanks, on. Thanks, Elaine. I might just, before you get into it, if you can hear me. Yes, yeah. Who who do you have in the room? So I have Brendan uh, on bazooki. Fantastic.
Nice olive, isn't it? So nice. It's, I'm just so happy that we actually got to to do it finally. Like when when I went home from Ireland that time, I thought, well, that's that's it. Maybe we might get a chance to come back over here for Mullingar. But uh, wait, so that was like this time last year? Completely. Really? Like yeah. I, this is this is a a year to the week that that we by chance met that night. Dude, one thing I we didn't go into too much detail on that uh, interview is. When that uh, young lad got up to do that dance, I was there that night as well. And it was one of those electric moments. Now, what we probably didn't get across in the interview is it's a small bar, right? It's a, it's a <laughs> bloody, it's a small place. So there's probably two, maybe three deep against the bar and then same on the other side where the door is. And it was just a little strip, maybe two, three meters tops that have been kind of everyone pushed back to give this lad some room. And he's a tall fella, long legs, and he's just up and down. It was just one of those moments when you realise you're in the thick of it. Like this uh-huh. is, you can't. You're going to get a fiddle bow in the eye. I'm doing exactly what shouldn't be be done to a moment like that. I'm talking about it. You can't. It was just, it was one of those in the moment things. So uh, yeah, br- brilliant. Um, for anyone that is interested in the Traditional Arts Partnership, probably the best place to follow them is on Facebook they're always putting up great videos um, it's where you'll be able to find out about classes and all that stuff too so just in Facebook uh, have a look for Traditional Arts Partnership South Armagh as always anyway in the show notes below there's going to be a, a direct link to that I'll also direct link to Elaine's profile and yeah I think that's the best place to, to go and, and get involved yeah so just before we move on to those last set of tunes were Apples in the Winter and Eddie Kelly's. And when we got off mic, um, we were continued having a chat with Elaine and she'd mentioned that she'd got um, the Eddie Kelly's from Huey Gallagher, who was a player from... He was from Donegal Town. And he was a teacher in the cultist group in Coventry. And he took over after Vincent Teague, I think, moved back to Ireland. So... Um, and Elaine was really wanting to uh, mention him particularly because he was also just very influential and had such a, a big role to play in keeping the music going there. So, so it was lovely to hear those tunes. What a lovely player and great to hear her kids in the background. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. That, was a, that was a surprise. Um, before we go, make sure you hit subscribe on then while you're clicking on links or kind of going looking for the Arts Partnership. Have have a little stab at that subscribe button. If you want, give us a five-star review. Just give that a tap as well. It all really helps bubble us up to the top. And finally, if you want to become a patron saint and join those other classic members of the Blarney Pilgrims In community. the firmament? <laughs> we, uh, yeah, as, as always, look, it's, it's because of the patron saints this thing can happen. So patreon.com forward slash Blarney Pilgrims and we're waiting for you there we're waiting for you there with your halo hands. awaits <laughs> alright we'll luck. see you next week thanks again Elaine O'Sullivan hi my name is Pietro please become a good subscriber to the podcast thank you thank you